seated. I don't know if you could spend a snowy morning in any uh, any better way than that, right? No, I don't know if it gets better than that. All right, so I told you last week that I was going to keep you accountable this week, those of you who were here last week. Um, so uh, anybody remember these things? Anybody get these things last week? Raise your hand if you got some of these last week. How many of you handed out one of these this week? Anybody? How many of you handed out one this week? Okay, so you get another chance this week. Okay, and I'm going to keep you accountable every week. Okay, you get another chance. Take these, hand them out to someone. This is the way we reach people in our community. It's a simple way, so I encourage you to just take one, take five, take ten, hand them out. I'm going to give you ideas. I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of how to do that right now. How many of you ate at a restaurant this week? Raise your hand. Okay. When you're done eating at the restaurant, talk to your. How many of you talk to a waiter or waitress while you ate at the restaurant? Okay. There's a person that you can hand one of these to. Now, let me give you a tip along with that. Give a good tip. Okay. Don't, don't give a, you're invited to Old Powhatan Baptist Church and here's your 5% tip along with that. You know, give a good tip and invite them to come to church. Okay. How many of you went through a drive-through this week? Anybody go through a drive-through? Oh, come on, admit it. You went through a drive-through this week. Okay. How many? <laughs> I know you did because you brought me Wendy's. So, so if you went through a drive-thru, there's somebody working there at the drive-thru window that you can hand this to. How many of you went to the grocery store this week? How many of you had to talk to the teller at the grocery store this week? Right? Are you getting the point? There are people in your everyday life, and this is a simple way into their life to simply hand this to them and say, hey, I'd love to invite you to church. Check this out. If you, even if you can't come this Sunday, there's a, vi- there's a video website on the back. I encourage you to check it out. Okay, That's it. Five seconds of your life could lead someone to eternal life. That's what we're talking about here. Five seconds of your life could lead someone to eternal life. So take that opportunity this week. I'm going to keep you accountable on this. And, uh, and I encourage you to keep one another accountable on this as well. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. We continue to work our way through 1 Peter. And, uh, and I also want to encourage you to write down sermon notes that you're taking, because I'm going to say some really important stuff today. And, um, and, but more than that, that, just to remember some of the things that you hear from God's Word, there's a place for you to do that as well. well it is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, I struggled with whether I should jump out of First Peter to do that and to just cover that. I have in the past done that. But honestly, this passage of Scripture lends itself so well to how we as Christians are to live in a world that has turned its back on God. Remember that Peter is writing to believers who live in a day and age that there is an emperor in Rome named Nero who is killing Christians, who is persecuting Christians, who is trying to run the church into the ground and kill off the church of Jesus Christ. So he is, he is living in a day and age where safety for the believer was not something that people assumed was going to be a reality for them. Okay? He lived in a day and age where living as sojourners and exiles gave hope to the people because they didn't have much to hold on to in this world. And Peter wanted them to know... If you hold on to this world, it's all going to go. 
You hold on to the kingdom that's coming where your identity and where your security lies, you're going to be rewarded. There's a great reward in heaven. So we are part of a new kingdom. We are citizens of a new kingdom with Jesus Christ as our king. But as we're living out that reality of being Christians living in this world, how do we still proclaim the greatness of Jesus in this world? How are we supposed to live it out? And so in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, we're told that we are a people that are possessed by God. We are his people possessed by him because Jesus has paid the price for us. We belong to God. And because we belong to God, he's now given us a new purpose. And that new purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're reminded that once we were not a people, we once were all scattered. We didn't belong to God. Now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, we were under wrath. We were under judgment. Now we have received mercy. And so we're told then, beloved, as sojourners and exiles, as people who don't belong to this world anymore, we're to live in this world. We're to live among this world. We're not, we're not to live as if we are of this world. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they see your good deeds. And when they see those good deeds, they would glorify God on the day of visitation, that God would show up and change their lives. So we, we likened it um, to walking up to Peter's house that he's building. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is the house, right? And we're on the front porch, and he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh because they wage war against your soul. And Keep your conduct honorable. That's kind of the blanket statement. That's the welcome mat of, of Peter's house. He says, this is what it looks like to live in this house called Christianity in this world. And now we're going to walk in and he's going to begin to walk us through the rooms. How do you do that when it comes to the government? That was a big deal for Christians back then. Because people were literally being killed for their faith. People around the world are being killed for their faith. Praise the Lord. Yesterday, Pastor Saeed was in Iran was, was released. That's not the reality for the majority of Christians around the world. Release from prison is not the reality. It's prison until they die is the reality for most Christians under persecution. We praise the Lord for this deliverance, but we realize we have brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering immensely for their faith. And they're not, they can't look to their government to protect them. So what do they do in that moment? What do we do as we look at our world and we realize that Christianity is no longer at the center of the way we do life in America, but it's on the fringes. We're, we're the outsiders now. Well, the good news for us is we were always meant to be outsiders. It's always been God's design. Is that we would be on the fringes. We would be changing things from the outside. That we would be different. That we would abstain from the, what the world loves. We would not love what the world loves, but we would love what the Father loves. And as that reality takes root in us, then we will live out our lives in a certain way. And he's going to give us an overarching kind of, now we're walking through the front door. This is hanging over the front door for us to remember. And he says this, and it's going to apply to all of these areas in the next chapter or so that we're going to be looking at. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He says, 
be subject to submit. That's going to be at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. And I'm just going to I'm just going to be honest with you. When you come to this passage of Scripture, the, the tendency is to look at it and go, yeah, but Peter didn't know what our day was like. That's the tendency. The tendency is, well, that was a different time than it is now. There was no democracy back then, so things are a little different now. That's the tendency. The tendency for pastors is to try to say what Peter wasn't saying here and what he didn't get around to saying as opposed to what the text actually says. I want to make sure we see what the text of Scripture actually tells us. And it's not going to be easy for us. It's not meant to be easy for us. It's meant to be produced and accomplished by the Spirit of God in us. If you read Scripture and you go, well, that's easy to do, you probably got it wrong. If God gives you a command and you go, I can can handle that one, that's no problem, then you probably don't understand the command. Because His commands are meant to be accomplished and obeyed by His Spirit and by faith. So I want you to pay attention. Look at what it says. It says, be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Our motivation for that is that we now have the mercy of God and we've been made into a new nation. We belong to God. But our command is to not live like the world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to keep our conduct honorable, to do good deeds in this world, to silence the critics. And the way we silence the critics of Christianity is not being bombastic. The way we silence the critics of Christianity is that Christians live like Christians. The Christians follow the example of Christ. That the heart of all of this is going to be Verses 21 through 23 of chapter 2. Flip over there if you would. I just want you to see this. The heart of all of this living out the submission and this being subject for the Lord's sake is imitation. There were to be imitators of Christ. First Peter 2.21 says this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And remember, he committed no sin. I don't think anyone else can claim that. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter's message to us is that even with unjust human institutions, even with unjust governments, our call from God is to submit. Our call from God is to silence their ignorance by our good living. To live at peace where possible. But I want to qualify that because... Peter gives qualifiers here. He he doesn't just say submit and everything, go be quiet, just stand over in the corner. He doesn't say that. 
he makes some points here that make it clear that we submit first to God before we ever submit to any human institution. We submit first to God that our life is so marked by submission to God and being subject to God that it will color the way that we submit to the things of this world. What is the honorable conduct or the good deed doing that we're supposed to be doing? It's submission. It's being subject. The purpose of this submission is to silence the ignorance of foolish people. David Helm says submission to authority is the strongest evidence against the view of society that Christians are never up to anything good. Our world does not look favorably on Christians right now. Agreed? How are you going to prove them any different? The the good living, the righteous living of believers is the strongest apologetic and the strongest evidence for the world that what we say is true. That's how we're going to show them. He also says this, and I think this is a great way of putting it. He says, good works silence false accusations. Why do you think the world looks at Christians and goes, what a bunch of corrupt you know, what a bunch of, you, you know, what I mean? oh, there's a whole bunch of hypocrites over there. Well, because all they got to do is turn on the TV, right? All they got to do is say, well, they're, they're people who say they are pro-life, and yet, man, they sure are violent. They say they're pro-life. Unless they're Muslim. I mean, you realize everybody was made in the image of God, right? And what Peter wants us to understand is this, and I want to make sure you get this, that there is a, an example set for us by Jesus who had all the authority and all the ability to look at all of the people who were persecuting him and go, poof, you disappear. Judgment forever for you. Go to hell right now. Jesus had all of the ability and all of the authority to do that. And yet he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he's meant to be our example. Does that call us to pacifism? No, what it calls us to do is to trust God and his plan that he has given human institutions like governors and emperors and presidents and congresses and kings to rule. And he's given them the sword. He's given them the sword of retribution. He's given them the sword of War, he's given them the sword of judgment. And for us, we are to be like this older and wiser Peter more than we are like the younger Peter who pulled out his sword and cut off the servant's ear in the garden. And Jesus said, put away your sword, Peter. That's not what the kingdom's like. Have we missed that? Have we missed that as Christians? Peter seems to be saying here, hey... That was the guy who pulled out the sword to protect Jesus. I pulled out my sword, cut off a guy's ear. And I'm telling you, I'm sheathing my sword because I have the sword of the Spirit. I have the Word of God. I have the Gospel. And it will cut to the hearts of those who are in government. It will cut to the hearts of the hardest-hearted people in the world. I know because it cut to the heart of me.
And so he says, be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This, this becomes the motivation for us to submit for the Lord's sake. That we would imitate Jesus. That the sword that we as the people of God, that the church would wield would be the word of God. That we would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. That we would live out the worth of Jesus. That we would live as if Jesus is worthy of our whole lives. That we would not try to hold on to what this world offers us, thus making people look at Jesus as less than He is. You realize that the tighter you hold on to the things of this world, the smaller the image of Jesus looks to those who don't know Him. Because He looks like He's not enough for us. He looks like He's not enough for us. Our job isn't to fight authority, it's to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to authority. The only way you're going to change the government is to proclaim the good news. Folks, I I want you to know, these cards are not just about, hey, invite somebody to our church. You're giving the opportunity for someone to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The only thing that will change their life. The elections that will come up, they won't change their lives the way the gospel will change their lives. So so I, I just want to challenge you with this. There's going to come a day, you're going to have a candidate that's in mind. I'm going to have a candidate that I'm going to want to vote for, right? How much more willing will you be to hand out a card, vote for my candidate, than you would be handed a card, come to know my Jesus? That's the question for us as believers. What do we think will actually change Lives. We have a new sword. It's the Word of God. It's the Gospel. So we get to sheathe the sword of retribution and trying to protect ourselves and realize that we have a God who protects us far better than we ever could. How do we do that? Well, He gives us how to do that right here in the passage. He goes, trust His sovereign plan. Look at what He says in verse 14. The governors who are meant to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good are sent by Him. It's His plan. He raises up governors. He raises up governments. The emperor is there for the Lord's sake, even if the emperor doesn't realize it. The governor is there for the Lord's sake, even if the governor doesn't realize it. We trust His plan. Whether the leaders are righteous or not, whether it's democracy or it's not, whether it's good for my pocketbook, my wallet or not, I trust God's plan. The governors are sent by Him. Even if they look like they don't punish evil, they keep punishing good, God will deal with them. You do good. And take the lumps that come with that. What good is it? What benefit is it? We're going to learn this later in the passage. What benefit is it if you do evil and are punished for evil? (laughs) Now, if you're punished for doing good, then the judgment isn't going to rest on you, is it? It's going to rest on them. So when we look at our world and we look at the millions of babies being killed in our world, what should be our reaction? The gospel. We need to move beyond just. We should. We should vote people in who are pro-life. Absolutely. But we as the church can't, can't just sit back and go, well, we voted them in to be pro-life. We also have to build a culture of life in our church to say we love the elderly. This Saturday, 
with the nursing home ministry at 9.30. Do we, do we believe we are pro-life? We're going to have mission trips going around the world to people who don't know Jesus. Taking the gospel to them. That's pro-life. Are we pro-life or are we just anti-abortion? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. We need to build this culture of life within our church. Trust His sovereign plan. Trust God that we can submit to Him and therefore submit to those He puts in authority over us. But He also says that this is the will of God. We'll look at verse 15. This is the will of God. He doesn't, you ever looking for the will of God? There's sometimes in the Bible He actually goes, this is the will of God. So we're like, oh, I wish I knew the will of God. Verse 15. Okay. If you're ever looking for the will of God, look for the places in the Bible where it goes, this is the will of God. Here you go. This is the will of God, that by doing good works, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <laughs> Seek His perfect will. We can trust Him enough to submit Because the will of God is for us in our submission to do good so that when people look at us, they can't go, I told you so. told you so. I knew those Christians were like that. I knew it. What does your life say about the Christ that you believe in? Finally, he says, demonstrate the greatness of your master. Look at it, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So this is what he says. You have an emperor. Back then they had an emperor, so nobody was really free, right? It wasn't democracy. It was an emperor. No one was really free. But he says, as a Christian, you're free. You've been given freedom. But don't use that freedom as a cover-up to just do whatever you want to do and use your freedom as a cover-up for selfishness, for self-reliance, for... My own self-interest. He goes, no, do, do good. Live as servants of God. Live like Jesus. Demonstrate the greatness of your master by looking like him. And you will submit. Jesus had every right to look at Pilate, the governor. Check that. Got that from the passage? Jesus was in front of the governor who had the right to punish evil, right? And to reward good. And here is the sinless Lamb of God standing in front of him. And he's like, you know I'm going to kill you, right? Why shouldn't I kill you? And Jesus basically says, you can't take my life. I give it. Wow. That's the example that I'm supposed to follow? How in the world can I do that? Because the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and lives in you as a believer. The same Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus lives in you and lives in me as believers so that we can demonstrate the greatness of our Master. And so in closing, I want you to see this. He doesn't just say, hey, submit. He then gives us some commands to show us how to do that. And he makes this really applicable. Okay, The first is this. Live as people who are free. Isn't that what he says in verse 16? Live as people who are free. Live like free people. 
not just free to do whatever you want, free to be servants of God. Isn't that just a, an amazing juxtaposition here? He goes, you're free, so be a servant. That's what he tells us. You're free. You're free from having to be a servant of this world. You now are free to be a servant of the living God. So live as free people. And when you live as free people, live as free people who want to honor God by honoring the ones around you. Not free to do as we wish or free to dishonor those who are around us or are over us. But free to live as servants of God. And how do we do that? He tells us in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. My, my struggle is that I see in a lot of Christians today. Fear the emperor. Love the brotherhood. protect myself from everyone. I ask you, is this the mark of your life? Because he says this is the mark of a believer to honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Fear God, the one who judges justly. That's how we can live. And so he, if we were to draw a pyramid scheme of the Christian life, this is what it would look like. Fear God, that's at the top. So when your government and when your world says babies in the womb aren't people, kill them as you wish, we go, I fear God. I fear God for you. I fear God for me. I fear God for our world. I fear God for my country. I fear God. And so I can't abide by that. And so I do everything within the structure of the government that God has placed over us to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen. But if that's all I do, then I'm not fearing God either because I've been told by God, proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Go share the good news. The greatest way to start, stop abortion is, A, we are supposed to be working through the government. The greatest way, though, is to go share the gospel with teenage girls and teenage boys and men and women who have this idea in our culture that life doesn't really matter. That they came from apes. And so, big deal if we kill them before I can see them. It's even in our culture, this culture of death that's around us, that you pull a trigger, you miss the finality of that action. Anybody who served in our military knows you pull that trigger, it is a final action. Anybody who served as a, as a police officer knows that there is a finality to the pulling of that trigger. And yet we can just spray bullets everywhere because life doesn't matter. That's the culture of our world. How different are we? That's the question for us. How different are we? What culture of life are we putting out there by saying, we're going to honor everyone. We're going to honor everyone as being made in the image of God. We're going to fear God. And then we're going to love our brothers. 
We're going to love believers, right? We're going to pour ourselves into each other. We're not going to isolate ourselves from each other. We're going to pour, we're going to meet the needs of each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to love each other because we have been, we have been made into the people of God. We've received mercy, so we're going to give mercy. So we're going to fear God. We're going to love the brotherhood, but then we're going to honor everyone because they are made in the image of Almighty God and we fear Him. We fear Him. So we're going to honor all of life, all people, the sinner, the unborn, the president, the Muslim, cousin Ricky, you just can't stand at family reunions, that neighbor, We're going to honor everyone because we can't be true life lovers if we hate and dishonor someone who is made in the image of God. You can't have it both ways. You're not pro-life if you hate someone who's made in the image of God. No matter how old, big, or small that they are. Without Christ... We are just as guilty in the eyes of God as the abortion doctor, as the boyfriend or husband pressuring a woman into an abortion, as the woman looking for convenience in her life, as the Planned Parenthood executive selling body parts, as the politician arrogantly demeaning the unborn. We are just as guilty when we hate and dishonor people who are made in the image of God. Outside of Jesus, we stand guilty and condemned. The only hope for us and for those who are under that guilt and condemnation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no other hope. The only hope to change the culture of death in our world is for the church to promote, to live out, to vote, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has ushered us into a new kingdom, a kingdom of light and life. What if we, what if the churches, what if the 15 million Southern Baptist church members, I'm not talking about any other denomination, 15 million Southern Baptist church members in America were to stand up and say we love everyone because you were made in the image of God. We love you enough to proclaim the good news to you. Maybe to hand you a card. I don't mean for this to be a browbeating or mean this to be guilt-ridden. I want you to know you've been freed now to live as free people who do not have to live in fear of this world. You only have to fear God. You only have to fear God. I want you to see this one last thing, though. And I love what Peter does here. He also says to honor the emperor. Now, the emperor thought of himself as God. Some people have claimed that about some leaders in our country. But we're to honor that person as made in the image of God. But he also says they're on the same level as every other person. He goes, honor everyone and honor the emperor. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor and honor everyone else. I ask you, Do you honor our leaders and those in authority 
as if they were your family member or friend. That's the call of God when we submit. To honor them as if they were made in the image of God and worthy of your honor. But they're no different than anyone else. They have the same need and that same need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we as the church carry the ultimate weapon to defeat evil. We proclaim the gospel. We the church carry the ultimate weapon to change hearts. We believe the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And we carry the ultimate proof of the power of God. We live out the gospel. Oh, that that would mark us as believers. Then we will proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to watch this video to remind us of who we are and the culture of life we're called to as believers. When I was a child growing up in a Southern Baptist church in South Mississippi, we used to sing a lot of songs in Sunday school assembly. And one of those songs had a line in it, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. You know, as the years have gone by, I've realized there are a lot of things that the devil doesn't like. As a matter of fact, a lot of things the Scripture says the devil rages against. One of those things is the sound of children singing out of the mouths of babes, Jesus says, quoting the Psalms, your praise will come. And every time that we turn around in the Bible, children are under assault from the satanic powers. They're being killed. They're being marginalized. They're being left for dead. And why? It's because the devil recognizes in the faces of children a picture of what the Scripture says is his ultimate defeat. The offspring of the woman will crush your head. As Jesus tells us, the little children, those who become as little children, are those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Satan sees the picture of his own defeat in those children's faces. And that's why in every era we have to stand vigilant against a culture of death and stand up for a culture of life. This is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And one of the things that we should commit ourselves to on this Sunday is that we will work toward the day, not only, as one leader put it years ago, abortion is illegal, although we should work for that, but also where it is unthinkable. We should be standing up to protect the lives of children in law. We should be working in our voting, in our legislative process to protect the lives of children. And we also need to be working within our congregations to teach and remind ourselves that there is no such thing as a wasted human life. There is no person who is less than a person. Everyone, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and therefore bear all of the rights of life and of liberty. Let's stand up for the unborn. Let's stand up for women who are being harmed and hurt by the abortion industry and by predatory men who pressure them into abortions. And let's speak to those of you who have had abortions in order to say that although this is an awful and unspeakable sin against God, the blood of Christ cleanses every conscience that cries out to Him in repentance and faith from all sin. We preach the gospel, we stand for justice, and we fight the devil, recognizing that every time that we preach the gospel, every time we seek to protect children, we're saying, 
what we, what many of us once sung. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Father, we thank you that you are the author of life, and we thank you that we have life. May we use our lives to proclaim life in Jesus Christ, and may we use our lives as a church and as your people to build a culture of life, to fight injustice, but to see eternal change through the gospel proclaimed and the gospel lived out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close today, and we're going to go back here, we're going to study scripture together, we're going to check to make sure we haven't been snowed in, and... um, but more than that, we're going we're gonna to leave as the people of God. We're going to walk out of here as people who have heard from God's word, and we're going to go proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Uh, meet somebody maybe that you don't know really well as you're leaving. Make sure just to say hi to them. Uh, but I encourage you to check through all the announcements and be involved in the ministries of the church as well. But we're glad you were here this morning. Um, and so let's go in the grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. <laughs>